What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It's Thursday, April 8th. The Masters have kicked off. Make sure and tune in to CBS Sports HQ for wall-to-wall coverage of the greatest golf spectacle of the year. We're not going to be talking about golf on this podcast, although I would certainly do that if, if we could. We could talk allergies, pollen count, and... uh and the Masters, that'd be that'd be the entirety of it. No, instead we're doing more draft talk. The great Josh Edwards, who dropped a seven-round mock draft, joining us. What's up, buddy? Not too much. Where do you think uh, doing a seven-round mock draft sits in terms of the measures of insanity? You, you think it's up in the eights, the nines on a scale of one to ten? Uh, like if we're doing like pollen count scales, so like a hundred is really bad. Then we were, we were talking about pollen. My son had a major allergic reaction before this podcast, and we were talking about pollen before it, but. Like, I would say it's like an 89.3. Would you rather, would you rather sit with no sunglasses, no hat, like nothing to cover your face outside for three hours as pollen rains down on you or do a seven hour mock draft? I mean, seven round mock draft. Oh man. Um, because it's so fresh on my mind, I'm tempted to say the first one, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'll, I'll stick with the seven round mock draft, even though it takes like a couple of days to do it. I think that's probably less miserable than sitting, uh, in a storm of pollen for, for three hours without sunglasses. Right. Like you're going to feel bad for a day, maybe with the pollen. The seven round mock lingers for like three days and, uh, hats off to you, you and Wilson and, uh, and Chris Traps, who, who also talked about the Chris, the Sam Darnold trade. You can check that out in the feed. Uh, yesterday's show will have a mailbag on Friday. Um, but hey, look, you know, we're going to talk draft prospects here, but if you want to hear from a couple of top draft prospects, top corners coming into this draft uh, and hear what they have to say about the draft process, make sure and go check out this week's episode of All Things Covered, which features conversations with J.C. Horn and Asante Samuel Jr. Horn shares that he's hearing some interest inside the top 10. Hello. And Samuel Jr. lets host Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden know that two teams from the AFC North have expressed a lot of interest in him. Follow All Things Covered wherever you find this podcast, you know, we talked about it a little bit with traps, uh, Josh, and not to, um, not to skew off the seven round mock thing, but I, it, it would be, I think it'd be surprising if we see a cornerback go in the top 10. It's not out of the question by any stretch of the imagination. I just think it'd be surprising. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking about a scenario where five quarterbacks go in the top 10. So at that point, you've only got five selections to make that happen. Um, you know, and you're talking about Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts. Like, all day we can say these guys are top ten talents, but, you know, there's only ten spots in the first round. It looks like half of them are going to go to quarterbacks. So teams outside of the top ten are going to get some pretty good value, I think, in the early teens. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, 2000 oh, – I always get these mixed up. It was uh, 2017, right? So you had, but instead of quarterbacks going early, and you did have quarterbacks going early, you had Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky and, and Deshaun Watson, but there was this push for wide receivers and running backs up in that draft. I mean, you had Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, John Ross, Mike Williams, Corey Davis. I mean, like picks where CMC was a great pick, but I mean, 
I don't know if you would say it's definitely worked out. Like he hasn't transformed the Panthers into a, a contender or anything. So all those picks sort of resulted in guys like Marshawn Lattimore or Derek Barnett. Um, we thought Hassan Reddick at the time, but those guys being pushed down and even the quarterbacks being pushed down a little bit. So I think that's worth noting when you start looking at teams who are drafting in that 10 to 15 range, they can end up getting some really good like high caliber prospects fall in their laps. Um, and that's why I think probably why you saw a team like Philadelphia willing to take that extra first to move from six to 12, knowing the quarterback rush was going to push guys down. Yeah. If you want to scare a team from taking, you know, a wide receiver or running back in the top 10, just read off that list. Like you just yeah. did. Cause I'm sitting over here shaking. It was, it was a, a pretty abysmal list. Yeah, it was. Uh, all right. So let's dive into the seven round mock draft that you've got. And we're going to look at a couple of teams specifically, uh, some at the top of the draft and, you know, sort of look at what, what these teams could do. For instance, the Jaguars are fascinating. The, uh, so the Jaguars are fascinating because they have tons of draft capital. The Jaguars are a little boring because there's not like the, the, the little blip of the radar where it's like, is Zach Wilson better than Trevor Lawrence? Didn't last very long. Like it got snuffed out pretty quick. And as good as Zach Wilson has been, there's not a, there's no discussion. The Jaguars are taking Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick. But I think, you know, that's the layup, right? I mean, that's your, you're, you're taking the free two, you're, that's the free square and draft bingo for Urban Meyer and Trent Balky. The question then becomes, can they transform this roster enough with what they did in free agency? the addition of Lawrence, and then the rest of this draft in order to make this team competitive in 2021. And I think you do a pretty good job of, of that for them, right? So the second first-round pick, Trayvon Mooring, safety out of TCU, Christian Barrymore, the defensive tackle from Alabama in the second round, Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia in the second round. Certainly they they made a free agency a focus of the secondary, and you would think they would double down here potentially. And then Michael Carter and Daz Newsome in the third and fourth rounds. They're just going all UNC. What are you trying to do? Troll me here? Jackson Carmen, the offensive tackle from Clemson. A lot of power five prospects here going to Jacksonville. Um, when you're doing this exercise, are you trying to – be Urban Meyer when you're making all these picks or you just sort of slotting guys around? Like what's the, what's the method to the madness? Yeah. You take into account uh, value team need um, and try to try to meet somewhere in the middle where you're getting a good player, um, you know, at a position of need. Um, so that was, that was the most crucial thing in the whole thing. I, I wasn't thinking too much about Urban Meyer uh, when it comes to the Raiders. I probably considered, you know, where guys went to school a little bit more because they seem to be drawn to Clemson and Alabama and some of those other traditional powers. Uh, but Jacksonville, I mean, I think they're in a position where they can essentially take the best players available. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I trust the current structure right now to make the most sound decisions. Mm. But if they hit on these picks, I mean, we're talking about a possible quick bounce back. For the Jaguars. So, I mean, if they hit on those picks, I might be uh, asking Pete if I can hop on the bandwagon because, <laughs> you know, it may not be this year, but two or three years down the road, I think uh, they could be a really formidable team. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle this because you look at what they've got right now. And I mean, I think you can talk yourself into, all right, let's drop. Trevor Lawrence in here, along with James Robinson and I guess Carlos Hyde since Urban Meyer and Trip Bauke drafted him. Urban Meyer coached him. I mean, it's not surprised they signed him. Uh, but you have Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, AJ Can, Jawan Taylor, like a decent, you know, a 
acceptable offensive line and they sign Marvin Jones, they have LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark. I mean, that's like, that's an offense you can work with, I feel like. So it wouldn't be surprising, I don't think at all, to see him sort of do what you had them uh, do here and to load up on defensive players, particularly guys with higher floors, the power five guys who played against good competition. I think a lot of times these new coaches will – they're not going to try and get cute with it, especially in this weird off season. And if they can, I mean, if they sign Shaq Griffin, CJ Henderson, and, um, oh gosh, who was their other, uh, Caleb on Chason, their, their other two first rounders from last year, you know, they still have Josh Allen there. I mean, there, there's, there's enough here where like you squint, like if they hit on this draft, you can see them sort of making some noise. Yeah, no question. I mean, my favorite pick, and you, you might want to earmuffs for a second, but it's Michael Carter. I mean, I love yeah. Michael Carter and what he brings to the field, but you're talking about having James Robinson and, you know, now Carlos Hyde, who is, um, you know, more of a complimentary piece at this point in his career. But James Robinson, a guy that's, you know, is a little bit lower to the ground. He's patient. He's got good vision. You throw in Michael Carter, who's got a little bit more speed and burst. Um, that's a great one-two punch at the running back position. So that's that's kind of exciting. And I know Tyson Campbell is probably uh, a little bit surprising considering they took C.J. Henderson in the first last year. And then they signed Shaq Griffin in uh, free agency. I don't think Griffin's contract is going to age very well. Um, mm. Yeah, I thought they, they overpaid a little bit. But you can never have enough depth in the cornerback room, especially in today's NFL. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you've got some insurance in the event of injury. And if you do decide to make a move at the position, you've got, uh, you know, a guy that you can throw in there to, uh, to bridge the gap. Yeah. And I think, uh, Urban said recently, I'm trying to find the quote, but he was basically like, you can't have too many good corners. And he understands, you know, the way that he wants to operate his offense, spread dudes, spread everybody out, throw the ball a ton. And I think that, you know, they probably believe they have enough at the, in terms of pass rush. And I, I don't think, you know, they brought, uh, they've Sidney Jones and Trey Herndon along with Shaq Griffin and CJ Henderson. I mean, I don't think it's crazy that he adds, he loads up more on depth at cornerback and tries to get younger talent in there. Cause I think he, that is a, a key component to what he wants to do, uh, this season and, and moving forward with that organization. Uh, the Jets, they, I think, I think the sort of same thing as the Jaguars, except in a, I guess a tougher division, you know, t- uh, I, uh, maybe similar. I don't know. Would you take, would you definitely take, uh, would you definitely take Buffalo and Miami over Tennessee and Indianapolis? Or that, I think that's kind of close, right? Like if you're talking about like yeah. the difficulty of the division, I think that's, I mean, well, that, I think it's comparable. Yeah. yeah, it's comparable, right? So, like, the, I, in other words, what I'm saying is that the Jets, and I'm, that's just crapping on the Patriots here, obviously, but like the Jets, you know, I think you can squint at them and say, all right, if they hit on this Zach Wilson thing, and we think that's who they're taking it to, then they can feel, I think they can feel like they've got something cooking. But you know, Joe Douglas is gonna have to utilize all these extra picks he's got and try and bring in some young talent, and you have them uh, doing just that. Greg Newsom. Second, uh, f- second pick in the first round, uh, cornerback out of Northwestern, Gregory Rousseau falling to the second round, the edge rusher out of Miami, who's, you know, people are all over the place on where he could get drafted. I think you see like 10th to 50th, right? Uh, and then of course, a Carolina player, Deami De- Brown in the fourth round, also, uh, wide receiver from Carolina. Also Kenneth Gainwell running back out of Memphis in the third and Trey Smith, a guard from Tennessee in the third. What do you like about, uh, the, what Joe Douglas is doing here? 
Yeah, I don't know if if Debo must have tapped into my brain because we didn't even talk about which of these teams that I thought had the best haul. But right off the bat, the Jaguars, the Jets, I know they've got the most picks. But those two teams, I mean, I was excited for those two franchises <laughs> just making those picks for them. You know, you talk about uh, Travis Etienne, you know, the the kind of burst that he has at the position. Um, you know, and then Zach Wilson. I'm a big Zach Wilson fan. I know not everybody – uh, is as high on him as, as maybe I am. Uh, he's easily my second favorite quarterback just because he's a natural passer. Um, he's got really good arm strength on the run. He's got solid mobility. Um, you know, not Lamar Jackson or Kyler, Kyler Murray, but more than enough to get the job done. So, uh, you talk about Gregory Rousseau, you talk about Greg Newsom. When you're trying to build a defense, you talk about the cornerstone pieces. That's the defensive line, um, in the cornerback room. So you signed Carl Lawson in free agency. You signed Sheldon Rankins, who I thought was a really good deal. Um, and then you pair him with Quinnen Williams, who you drafted early a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And now you've got Gregory Rousseau, who, again, like you said, is kind of polarizing. Um, you know, his 40-yard dash was fantastic, but some of the other measurables just, you know, weren't where we hoped they would be. Um, so coming off an opt-out season, it's, it's just kind of a little bit difficult to project him, but definitely a high upside uh, kind of piece. And then Greg Newsom, I, I just think he's really reliable. Um, you're talking about the Jets and wanting to build accountability and creating a culture in that locker room. I think Newsom is a fantastic piece because he's going to be coachable. He's going to be accountable and you're going to be able to, tr- to transform the defense around him. They, I mean, they definitely need some talent at, at cornerback. And, you know, it's interesting because like we said, both these teams are taking a quarterback first and second overall respectively. I mean, that's, you know, it's exciting that you're doing it. It does take a little bit of juice out of the draft, I think, like as a, as observer, because you, we've known for, you're going to know for like 60 days by the time that these guys are, by the time the draft happens, who the Jaguars and who the Jets were going to take at first and second row. That's, I was perfectly fine. It's just, it doesn't make it quite as, you know, thrilling. And we, you know, it, the draft basically starts at four right now. We'll see what the Falcons do, but I, I think it's interesting because. Both the Jets and the Jaguars, as you point out with, with Jacksonville, like they don't have to draft for need. You know, they're not, they have enough needs across the board. You know, you can say, all right, they're pretty good here and they're pretty good here, but like they really can just say go best player, best player, best player. And I, I don't think either organization needs to feel like it has to win, you know, seven, go eight and nine or whatever, you know, this year. Yeah, and it's lofty expectations to place on a rookie quarterback, um, you know, coming in, learning a new system. It's not even just Zach Wilson learning a new system. It's the entire roster because, obviously, Robert Sala's first year, uh, they are coming over as the defense coordinator from the 49ers. Um, and I, I think I mistakenly said Travis Etienne. Kenneth Gainwell oh, I right, think right. Is, is who I had in this projection. Um, yes, I think yes. I gave Kenneth, it, Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell, yeah, yeah. I think Etienne. I gave that. Yeah, I think I gave them ETN the, the, the week prior, but Kenneth Gainwell, really explosive back. Um, that's going to give you a little bit more speed at the position, a guy that's really got some game breaking potential. So, uh, again, Jets are in a great position to just draft based on best player available because like you said, they've got so many needs. Uh, that wide receiver room, you added a couple of pieces, but, uh, let's not pretend it's, it's a done deal yet. You uh-huh. know, they, they've definitely got some work to do in that room. Um, especially to make a new rookie quarterback feel comfortable. So uh, I think you're taking the right steps into becoming a challenging team within the AFC East. Uh, but it's kind of tough to envision them, you know, competing alongside the Bills, the Dolphins, 
and even the Patriots who have made a lot of uh, significant strides this offseason. As I see you shake your head, are you, are you a doubter of what the Patriots have done? No, no, no. I was agreeing. Like I, I, I like, I love what the Patriots did. I thought they did yeah. a great job. And I think the Jets are clearly the worst team in the division, but I think the arrows at least pointed up based on the moves that Joe Douglas has made. And the, the other thing I like here that you did, and I, I don't think teams do this enough. Um, and I can even argue that, you know, you need to see how the draft, the board shakes out clearly, but like you went Zach Wilson first overall. Next two picks, you go with cornerback and an edge rusher. Those are positions of need for the Jets and, and, um, but, but like, you, you know, it's, you're not, you're not reaching for guys. Like, you yeah. know, if Rousseau falls in the second and Newsom there feels like a Joe Douglas type player. You mentioned steady, you know, discipline coming from a, you know, the Pat Fitzgerald system. Um, but like then immediately with the next four picks, offensive lineman, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver. And I think that's, that's important to me that a team recognizes, okay, here's what we have on our roster to help out our, our number two overall quarterback, right? But we still need to beef that up. We need to make sure, cause that's really why Sam Darnold failed. You know, I mean, sure. I, I think Sam Darnold in a, in a proper ecosystem, in a proper infrastructure, like if you drop Sam Darnold in Buffalo with what Josh Allen got, I'm not saying that he's going to be an MVP candidate, but I don't think he's getting traded three years into his career. And I think if you drop Josh Allen in what Sam Darnold had in New York, I don't think he's the third highest favorite to win the MVP this coming up year. I think we're discussing how he could never put it together and he's an inaccurate quarterback from Wyoming. So it's it, to me, and I think Joe Douglas sees that. And I think, you know, he saw, um, the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz as their starter in 2017 before he got hurt and Nick Foles won it and then uh, ruined Carson Wentz's mindset and eventually had him shipped off to uh, you know, Indianapolis because he's broken weak mind. Uh, but also, that was just a shot at Debo. Also, <laughs> you saw the, uh, the Ravens won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco on a rookie contract with good pieces around him and a good defense. And so I think your plan is spot on with what Joe Douglas will do, which is add quality defensive players, but also keep building out the infrastructure around that young quarterback, knowing that if you can elevate his play with pieces around him, that gives you a legitimate window during these four or five years where he's on his rookie deal to kind of make some noise. Yeah, I'm actually glad that you picked up on that because that is that is part of my strategy when I fill this out. I look at teams that you know have significant needs um, at certain positions, and I, I double down later in the draft. Uh, when you talk about the draft historically, I mean, you're talking about a 50% hit rate in the first round alone, and then it decreases each round after that. So just because I have you taking, you know, a wide receiver in the second or the third round, that doesn't mean he's going to be good. I mean, we've seen enough Corey Coleman's and, um, you know, John Ross's and all of these other guys that have not been nearly as productive as where they were taken. Um, so to me, if you're taking, you know, three wide receivers in a draft class to really solidify and hammer home that unit, I don't think it's a waste of capital at all because at the end of the day, you're just kind of hoping that, you know, a couple of those guys pan out. And if you get a couple of those guys to hit, your wide receiver room is looking a lot better. And wide receiver is a position that we've seen some really good value fall into day three in recent years. So, um, you know, that's something that I did try to do is just attack some of those position of needs with multiple picks on day three because if you can just get one of those guys to hit, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and I mean, let's not pretend like Corey Davis is guaranteed to be great or that Denzel Mims is going to, 
you know, developing anything more than a guy who runs a bunch of nine routes. And so, you know, you could end up in a situation where it's like, Oh crap, Jamison Crowder's our number one again. Um, this is, this is bad. And that's why you take some of those flyers. So I, I love, uh, that approach from the Jets picking at number five, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Bengals are fascinating because they're a clear inflection point about how the draft is going to sort of play out. If we assume that the Falcons trade number four to a team that wants to come get either Mac Jones or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, which does seem like a thing that's going to happen based on Matt Ryan's contract, the Falcons need for young talent, uh, the interest level in that fourth pick. Um, so let's say a team comes up and gets that fourth quarterback. We go QB, 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 QB. Then the draft kind of starts with the Bengals and, you know, they could go. I, I think they're going to go one of two ways, Josh. It's either Jamar Chase, who you haven't taken in this mock draft or Panay Sewell. And then they kick Jonah Williams inside. What, what made you, uh, go with the wide receiver there and does, and did it dictate sort of how Cincinnati approached the rest of that draft? Cause you had him taking, uh, uh, offensive lineman in the second round and the, uh, then they followed up with the fifth round and the sixth round. Not that those are necessarily premium picks, but that's three picks on offensive linemen. Yeah, and to back up a pick, I've I've got the Falcons taking a quarterback, and you know I I filled this out before the report came out that they were open to dealing down. Sure, um, it's my belief that they should take a quarterback, but they don't always operate in the way that I believe as as you know we see every single year. So uh, my question to you, I guess, would be: Do you feel like the Falcons are in a position to where they're going to be contenders in the next couple of years? Because to me, if you're willing to punt on a quarterback at number four. That says that you think you're going to be able to compete this coming year or in the next couple of years for a Super Bowl. So uh, if you're going to punt on a long-term option to go all in with Matt Ryan, you better have a roster to compete. And I just don't think they're there. I don't know that they're necessarily there. No, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I mean, like, I don't look at the Falcons and think, all right, they're going to take down the Bucks. But Carolina, I don't think is going to be great next year, even if Sam Darnold works out. Um, I have questions about how New Orleans will look without, you know, I, I realize, you know, Jameis Winston could be good, but I think, you know, New Orleans is, I don't think New Orleans is a 13 win team next year. Um, and the way that they redid Matt Ryan's contract, you know, they're not cutting him this year. He has right. $65.4 million in dead money. Next year, he has $40.5 million in dead cap space. I really think they restruck. I think Arthur Smith. And this is my belief and based on what you hear about the Falcons that he wants to come in and work with Matt Ryan for two years and try to win football games and to sort of build some cachet. And I don't think it's that crazy either because if you reboot with a young quarterback and you put him on this roster or you're a, unless, unless he's like a, I mean, like I just think you're like a bottom five team and, and then all of a sudden you're two years in, you've won eight total games. And people are clamoring for your, you know, for your job or calling for your job. And, you know, and you've been, and you have to deal with all this dead cap space in Matt Ryan. So I think they're just, I think they're going to punt on it. I really do. I think they're going to try and acquire young talent and make one more little push. And I, I tend to think that's part of why Arthur Smith took the job and part of why they hired Arthur Smith, the belief that he thinks he can win now. So I, I don't think it's crazy that they would take a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields. But if you do that, you're probably sitting them for the first two yeah. years or at least year and a half. And maybe Trey Lance is perfect for that. You haven't taken him. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but b- back to the Bengals, you know, did that, how did that influence the rest of your draft? I mean, do you, you know, go on Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell? 
Yeah, so like you said, I mean, the Bengals are a very interesting case because I do agree. I think it's Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase at number five. Um, if Joe Burrow is truly pushing for Jamar Chase the way that uh, some suggest, then give the quarterback what he wants. Um, you know, if he's comfortable taking a, a wide receiver at number five, knowing that he's not going to get the extra protection that he possibly needs, um, then I think you still go ahead and do that because you want to make him happy, first of all. But second of all, Jamar Chase is going to excite the fan base a lot more than Panay Sewell will. So, did you um, see, did you see the bank, the memes, the Bengals memes? Oh yeah. Yeah. The positional like, value. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's like Joe Burrow and it's like Panay Sewell and it's like anybody and it's catching the pass. And it's like Joe Burrow throws to Jamar Chase. It's like anybody's blocking. And it's just like jo- Joe Burrow's getting killed and the ball's falling 10 feet in front of him. I, I mean, I'm with you. I think you make the quarterback happy. Like if he wants, if he wants, offensive line is a problem. They have drafted a ton of guys with early picks. Um, and it just hasn't worked out. But man, I mean, you know, it's not like Alden Tate, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins is just, you're just done. Don't have to worry about wide receiver. See, but that's the thing. I think it's, a, I think it's a lot more difficult to find good offensive tackles, a lot more difficult than it is to find good wide receivers. And, For sure. You know, I, I agree they're not done at the wide receiver position, but I do really like Tyler Boyd and T Higgins to the point where I'm comfortable throwing those. I mean, it's a lot better than what the Jets have. Uh, so I'm comfortable yeah. throwing those two guys out there than I am, um, you know, rolling with the current offensive line situation. So I'm a believer in in building the offensive line up first uh, because Joe Burrow is going to have a much easier time distributing the football to, you know, Auden Tate, CJ Uzoma, those kind of guys, if he's got time in the pocket. Um, and I think it's just easier to find offensive tackles. So me personally, I would take the offensive tackle and then try to get an Elijah Moore or somebody like that mm. in the second round to give you kind of that speed that you, you covet at the position. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if, if, if Joe Burrow is signing off on Jamar Chase, then, you know, that's probably what I'm doing if I'm that franchise. That's fair. And look, to, I mean, to make the point, to hammer the point home even further, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd were both second round picks and they're, you know, they flash Pro Bowl caliber talent over the past few years and they've already extended Boyd. So yeah, I, I have no problem. I think, I do think it's going to be that decision. And, and, but then the trickle down effect of that will be really interesting because yeah. it'll influence what the Dolphins and Panthers, Broncos, et cetera, do. Speaking of the Broncos, you have them trading up in your seven round mock draft. Uh, how high do they have to trade up to get Justin Fields? So they only have to go up two spots. Um, you know, Carolina was, was one of the biggest quarter, uh, teams in the quarterback market at number eight. Uh, so my thinking was, okay, you've got to get ahead of Carolina if you want to secure a quarterback. Um, I was in the middle of the third or fourth round when I was filling this out when the, when the Sam Darnold trade happened. Oh, the worst. Uh, so, so yeah, so fortunately I had already had, uh, this current situation with Carolina taking a different position. So it didn't affect me too much. That's um, but with Carolina out of the market, I'm not even sure Denver has to trade up. I imagine they still will because I'm sure that New England and Chicago and maybe Washington are calling Detroit at number seven overall just to gauge their interest in possibly trading down. Um, and there's no reason for Detroit not to trade down, in my opinion. I know some people are pegging them as, as possibly in the quarterback market themselves, but I just don't see it. I, I think the, the deal that they took for Jared Goff kind of suggests to me that they actually see a little bit of value in him. Uh, and second of all, if you are 
a t- it, let's say if Los Angeles had drafted a rookie quarterback this year, you're not keeping Jared Goff on the roster. He's not going to be happy being a, being second fiddle to a rookie quarterback uh, that you bring into the building. So that's just an unhealthy quarterback position. So I think they're going to stick it out with uh, Jared Goff for the coming season, uh, see how it goes the coming year, and maybe be in the quarterback market next year or the following year. But um, well, Denver, uh, I think. Well, no, and just to your point, like I think that's really interesting because you look at Detroit, and it's like they could go any which way at this draft, and I don't think they're. I wouldn't rule them out to take a quarterback, but like Jared Goff's dead cap money the next two years is forty point eight million dollars and thirty point five million dollars. The whole reason why they took those first round picks on was to soak up Jared Goff's contract so the Rams could get out from under it. And I, I think you're right. Like, you know, we talk about building out an infrastructure for these quarterbacks. Detroit's infrastructure is terrible. If you yeah. drop if you drop Justin Fields on this team, let's just say Jared Goff just gets Thanos, snaps his fingers, and Goff evaporates into the ethos, right? Um, or the ether, I guess. And you drop Justin Fields on this team. They are getting slaughtered every week. I mean, and Justin Fields is not going to have a real good time. I mean, they, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, and I mean, those are really nice players. I love those guys. Um, but like, you know, the offensive line has question marks and the wide receiver group is a disaster. This is not a spot for a rookie quarterback to thrive. So if you're Detroit, I think you are better off trading down, getting more picks, trying to get more young players, build together a core and a nucleus before you try and go out and get that quarterback. Cause you already tried that with Matthew Stafford and it didn't work, you know? So I, I I'm on board with that. I think, I think that Detroit needs to take its lumps with Jared Goff for two years, see if you can salvage his career. And if you can't, you'll have a chance to get a quarterback in the next two drafts. And I know it seems, you know, kind of counterintuitive to, for Detroit to have any confidence um, in Jared Goff, but you know, their general manager, Brad Holmes is a guy that was a part of his selection. He was pounding and, the table for golf. And the reason that I say this, uh, you know, that they actually might value golf golf is because they turned down this deal from Carolina that included the number eight pick overall to get a couple of picks that are going to be probably in the late twenties over the next couple of years. Yep. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. So unless you like, you're either doing your old team a favor, in my opinion, or you actually value Jared Goff. Those are the only two outcomes in my mind. So to me, they they actually value Jared Goff a little bit. Otherwise, you know, they took a, a worse deal to take the one, you know, from Los Angeles over the one they got from Carolina. Because if you have seven and eight in this draft, you could possibly trade number seven, get some of those assets that, you know, you're, you're not getting two or three, you know, first round picks like you did from Los Angeles. You're just getting that eighth pick, but you're recouping some of that by trading out of number seven this year and trading back a little bit to one of those quarterback needed or, teams. So it just doesn't make sense. Or maybe you just draft Panay Sewell and, and Kyle Pitts and like, exactly. And, yeah. and you, and all of a sudden you got them working with DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson and you feel like you're starting to get the pieces in place for an offense that can, that can replace it. I, that's a good, that's a great point. Um, I don't know who the hell their quarterback would be if it weren't like, who are they rolling with? I guess it'd be Teddy Bridgewater or Tim Boyle or David Blau. Uh, so back to the Broncos at, uh, they moved from eight to six. Not a, not a crazy expensive trade to move up and get Justin Fields. Uh, what else did you like? What else they did in your seven round mock? They have, uh, Joseph Asai, outside linebacker out of Texas in the second. Oh, why are these names? Marlon Tuipulotu, the defensive tackle from, uh, USC, Deontay Brown, 
guard out of Alabama, Larry Borum, offensive lineman from Missouri. And then you have him uh, in the sixth and seventh round taking Eric Burrell, Brandon Eagles, Nate Hobbs, and Jimmy Morrissey. Yeah, I think in the background you can hear Debo chuckling as, as he picked out a team that has some of the more complicated names uh, in this draft for you to read off. But uh, Vaughn Miller, one way or another, his time in Denver is probably coming to a close. Uh, so if you get a guy like Joseph Asai who – um, you know, does about as well as anybody at targeting the football when he comes around the edge and creating turnovers. If you bring him into the building and allow Von Miller to kind of teach him and, and be the heir apparent opposite of Bradley Chubb, I mean, I think that's a win-win situation, uh, especially in Vic Fangio's defense. But, um, you know, Denver already has the offense solved, you know, with, with everything that they've added as in, in terms of skill players. Obviously, the offensive line has a little bit of work to do, but um, – and the, the defense has really elevated this this offseason as well. You keep Justin Simmons, you bring in Kyle Fuller, you gave Ronald Darby a deal that was probably a little bit too rich. Mm. Um, defensive line looks pretty good. Um, you know, you've got those two edge rushers. You get, uh, you know, they're they're in a, they're in a really good spot. So I think, you know, you get a guy like Joseph Osai that's going to allow you to possibly move on uh, from Von Miller after this coming season, recoup some of that salary cap space. And, and build more towards the future, I think that's, um, you know, a pretty desirable outcome. Indeed. Uh, all right. What will the last place teams in the NFC do? We touched on them a little bit, but we will uh, wrap those up coming up after the break. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So the Falcons, who we mentioned uh, previously, you haven't taken Trey Lance at number four overall. Travis Etienne in the second round. That's pretty spicy. I love Etienne. I mean, he's just a stud player. Second, If you get him in the second round, I have no problem with it. Quincy Roche, defensive end out of Miami. Joshua Bledsoe, safety out of Missouri. Darius Stills, defensive tackle from West Virginia. Darren Hall, San Diego State cornerback. Uh, and then Kylan Granson, tight end out of SMU before Josh Palmer and Jonathan Cooper um, in the sixth round. Do you – so you're, I get, I get it. And I think Trey Lance is the guy if you're going to take a quarterback for the Falcons. Like if you're going to go a quarterback at four, knowing you, you're probably keeping Matt Ryan on the roster for two years anyway. I think you go with the project guy who's played one football game in the last, you know, two years or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, how often do you get to pick number four in the draft? And you've, you've got a couple of, you know, your head coach is in his first year, your general manager is in his first year. So, um, you know, Atlanta has been pretty patient with their decision makers in the past, whether it was, you know, Dan Quinn this past year or, um, you know, the general manager as well, who, uh, I'm blanking on right now, but, you know, they've had those guys around for Tom, a long time. Thomas, Thomas Dimitrov. Thomas Dimitrov. Yeah. yeah. So they've had those guys around for a long time. I mean, Atlanta is one of the more patient franchises 
in the league. So, you know, what, regardless of what happens this coming year, I don't think their job is going to be in jeopardy unless there's just a total locker room failure and there's, you know, no path to having any amount of success in the future because the players have not bought in. Outside of that, I mean, I think they're in a position to possibly make a long-term move here. Um, you know, so in my opinion, I think it, t- it makes the most sense to take a quarterback because you don't know when you're going to get back up this early. Plus, you're looking at all these teams like Miami. Um, you know, the Jets will have a quarterback by that point. But all of these teams that are stockpiling draft capital for future years, I mean, those teams are going to be better equipped to trade up and get a quarterback than mm. than Atlanta. So I think you just kind of have to take your shot when you get it. And for me, that's this year for Atlanta. So even if you ride with Matt Ryan for a year or two, I just think it would be incredibly short-sighted to punt on one of those quarterbacks because, you know, let's say you you do make the playoffs the next couple of years and you don't have a Super Bowl to show for it. Three, four years later, you know, you're restarting the franchise and maybe you're picking at number 16 overall and you find your, yourself in a situation like the Bears or Washington where you're you're kind of in no man's land. So um, the Bears, Washington, they would kill to be in the position that Atlanta is in right now to take a quarterback. So that opportunity uh, opportunity cost is kind of what it comes down to for me. And, uh, you know, that's why I think they should take a quarterback. But I agree. I think it's probably trending in the direction that they do not take a quarterback. Yeah, and the roster, like we said, is pretty thin. Like there's a, not a lot of margin for error. So if – if they can get a haul back and trade down, then I don't mind that because it means you're going to get an influx of young talent, which you need to do anyway. Uh, Eagles, of course. Debo snuck the Eagles in here. Just kidding. It's all last place teams is who we are discussing. At uh, number 12 overall, you have the Eagles. Finally, finally, Howie Roseman does a thing that Eagles fans won't be mad about as it relates to a wide receiver. You have them taking Devontae Smith in the first round. Uh, this Heisman Trophy winner out of Alabama, monster season. No problems with that. A little bit smaller than maybe people would like, but man, he is a player. And Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri in the second. Javon Holland, Oregon safety in the third, along with Josh Myers from Ohio State, the offensive lineman. Deo Ode Yingbo, defensive lineman from Vanderbilt. Did I get that right? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, Marco Wilson, Deo in the fourth, Marco Wilson, the defensive back from Florida in the fifth, Khalil Herbert from Kansas, Derek Forrest from Cincy, Malik Herring from Georgia in the sixth, and then Sam Cooper from Merrimack in the seventh. This feels, um, I, I think if I'm, you know, if you're putting on your Howie Roseman hat, it feels like a, we're taking a wide receiver in the first round, best one that lands there, and then just sort of best player available as the Eagles try to restart things. I think they're in more of a rebuild than really they're letting on. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you've got so many aged assets along that offensive line. If you're not in a rebuild now, it's probably coming in the near future. Um, Devontae Smith is a guy that most Eagles fans probably didn't think was going to be at number 12 overall when they when they traded down. Um, I know a lot of people thought that Philadelphia was trading out of the opportunity to, to take one of those elite pass catchers. But when you're talking about four or five quarterbacks in the top 10, like we said earlier, I mean, there's some good players that are going to fall down the board and Philadelphia is in a good position to capitalize, get one of those players um, and, and, you know, recoup some of those, those draft capital uh, picks in return. Um, Nick Bolton, I think linebacker is a good need for them. They, they need to fill that behind the strong defensive line that they've built. Um, Javon Holland is a guy that 
is one of my personal favorites in this draft class because he wears he wore so many different hats for that Oregon team. I mean, he can play in the nickel, he can play safety, just a really smart football player. Um, and you've already got Anthony Harris, who I think was a very good value signing for Philadelphia this offseason, but just a one year deal. Um, and and Holland has the versatility to to play down and um, you know, be in nickel and sub packages as well. So uh, I think that's a really good fit. You're getting really three really good football players that should be able to contribute early. Uh, and then you're just building depth beyond that. I mean, Josh Myers is a contingency for Jason Kelsey, you know, in the event that he eventually moves on. Um, and that's really the rest of, of this draft. You're kind of taking players that you think might be able to step in and be a long-term fit for your team. All right. I like it. Uh, Debo, are you, are you there able to talk? I'm curious what you think about this Eagles draft. Yeah, let me know if I don't sound good here, but, uh, um, sound fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I did think as soon as that trade was made that Devontae Smith would be on my radar. Now, like knowing things like the Cowboys or Giants are going to take them right ahead of the Eagles. That's just how things <laughs> seem to work, um, for this team. But, you know, they bring it upon themselves when they pass on wide receivers like Justin Jefferson. Um, Holland is a name that I've heard a lot about that I would love. I, I, I think, you know, Maybe it is best player available, but I think it is need in the second and third round, what Josh has here with uh Bolton at, at linebacker and Holland at safety. I, I like what I'm I like what I'm saying. All right. You got this official stamp of approval from noted Howie Roseman hater. Yeah. I don't think yeah, there's many things that would really upset me at number twelve though. Like I would not be upset with Rayshon Slater at twelve. I would not be upset if it ended up being Waddle and not Smith. So uh, I, I shouldn't say that because you could go down the board and like I've made the joke about <laughs> Kadarius Tony. That would upset me. But right now out of the realm of possibility, I don't think there's many options. Even if it is a Sertan or, or, or JC Horn, I don't think Eagles fans could really be too upset at that. Yeah, taking Kadarius Tony at 12 would be like taking Jalen Reger where they took him last year. Yep. But, um, Micah Parsons, <laughs> admittedly, I was not the biggest Reger fan. Um, you know, I was, I was, I mean, I was the, the Vikings, the Vikings straight up laughed at them. They have a draft yeah. video where Zimmer and, and Spielberg are like, they took Reger. We have to give us Justin Jefferson. They took Reger. I'm on record as saying I thought Justin Jefferson was the fourth wide receiver in last year's class and closer to that top three um, yeah. than, than you know, any other player in this class or in, in that class. Um, but back to uh, – I, I did have a question for Debo because Micah Parsons seems to be a little polarizing, um, you know, for Eagles fans. I don't know if, you know, it's the contingency that, you know, overlaps with the Penn State fan base and those are the ones that want him. Uh, cause there do seem to be a vocal, a, a vocal segment that does not want Micah Parsons at number 12. Yeah. I just think, you know, linebacker has not been a position they've ever targeted in the first round. You go back a, a couple decades to find someone there. So I think that's kind of like built into our mentality and psyche at this point. You know, the organization hasn't targeted. We're not targeting it. We know that the position is a little less valued. But like you said, there is that crossover of the fan base, the Philadelphia region, large with, with Penn State supporters. I don't think, you know, the, the attitude and the off-field stuff shouldn't be a worry in my mind, at least from everything that I've seen. I don't know if that's brought into the conversation at all. It's just not a position that you really walk away super thrilled about, even though he's a, a super talented player. It feels like with a wide receiver depth here and like, 
given the just the you know the the Arcega Whiteside over Metcalf and Rager over Jefferson. It feels like if you if you are interested in helping your quarterback and satisfying a angry fan base, just draft one of the Alabama guys. <laughs> just, just Waddle or you know Devonta Smith. Just take one of those guys, and no one's like if the, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know nobody, but nobody's going to kill you. Like the Rager over Jefferson thing, that was cute. You know, I can, I, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you do the evaluation, you like Rager over Jefferson, that's fine. But, you know, Justin Jefferson's got some good tape. So, I mean, I don't know. So you would hope that I, I would, I would be a little nervous though as an Eagles fan. You'd like it at six, you feel like they can't screw it up. At 12, you feel like they could. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be nervous until the pick, the pick is in. See, I don't think you should be nervous, though, because I, I still think you're going to get a really good player, even if it's not one of those wide receivers. Like you said, uh, there, there's only so many players that could possibly go before. So even if you end up with Rashawn Slater, I think that's a really good consolation prize. And, you know, you need a cornerback as well. So maybe you get Patrick Sertain or, or J.C. Horn, one of those guys to plug in there as well. Right. I'm fine with that. I'm just my my fear is that the Eagles have someone that's like 25th to 30th on your <laughs> and Ryan's draft boards. And, and that's who they have in, in their top 10. And it's just like, oh, he's he's there at 12. We have him ranked eighth. He's got to go. Fair enough. All right. Moving along. Oh, wait. Did I mention it's Masters Week? That's right. It's Masters Week. God, I love Masters Week. It's the best week of the year. That means CBS Sports HQ is your home for round-the-clock coverage from Augusta. That includes tournament picks, round-by-round matchups, highlights, leaderboard updates, and we even have our old pal from the First Cut podcast, Kyle Porter. One-time uh, NFL, uh, one-time Super Bowl uh, attendee for CBS. I can't remember what, what Super Bowl was that. I guess it was where were, Houston, maybe. Was it Houston? Why was Kyle there? Anyway, Kyle was at a Super Bowl one time, so he's friend, yeah, a good friend of the show. Uh, he'll be on site providing up-to-the-minute updates so you'll know everything there is to know from Augusta. By the way, Kyle has twice won the media lottery to play Augusta the Monday after the Masters. So don't ever appreciate Kyle. And if Spieth wins, he's going to be unbearable. But we, anyway, if you're wondering what CBS Sports HQ is, it's our 24-7, 365 days a year sports news network. How do you get it? Oh, it's easy and it's free. Just go to cbssports.com, the CBS Sports mobile app, or fire up the CBS Sports app on your connected TV and watch yourself become the most in-the-know sports fan on your group text. So we mentioned the uh, Lions and how they probably don't need to draft a quarterback. And I think this move, this draft by them, Josh, uh, sort of it hits home to a large degree. Like you trade from, uh, no, wait, did they, they didn't trade down. They just stayed at seven, right? Or did they trade down? This is, no. this was the trade down to nine with Denver. Okay. They trade from seven to nine, right? Right. They trade yeah. behind the, they trade behind the Panthers, knowing the Panthers, they don't really care. And the Panthers probably go on offensive line and they scoop up Jalen Waddle at ninth overall. I think it makes a world of sense for them. Um, Elijah Moore, another wide receiver out of Ole Miss in the second round. Again, makes a whole lot of sense. They need wide receiver help. Uh, Paulson Adebo, quarterback out of Stanford. Hamsa, oh, come on. The, the FSU <laughs> safety. Uh, anyway, you can tell us about the rest of the draft picks for the, for the Lions. Again, I, I don't think this was a coincidence that Debo picked, uh, I mean, I know it's, it's the teams that finished in last place. You're talking about Hamsa Nasiral Dean and Ifetsu Melifonwu. Um, you know, a couple of the more complicated names to pronounce in this draft class. Uh, I know taking Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore are, it's, it's going to be controversial probably to, to some player or some fans in the Lions fan base because 
you know, we talk about positional value and how you can get wide receivers pretty much anywhere. And you take two wide receivers with your first two round picks. Um, I just think the value is really good. I love Jalen Waddle. I love Elijah Moore. I think both of those guys fill needs um, at the wide receiver position. And if you are going to play with Jared Goff, you got to give him some weapons that are not just Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman, because that's, that's not going to do it at the end of the day. I mean, Perryman's been on, you know, he's gone his fourth team in four years. So, you know, obviously he's a bit of a journeyman at this point in his career. And Tyrell Williams was cut by the Raiders, who has a need at the wide receiver position now. So, you know, you can't really rely on those two players. I think adding adding Waddle and Moore will give them a lot of speed and a lot of a lot of potential at the wide receiver position. Uh, Paulson Adebo is a guy that he's not as quick twitch. Um, you know, he's not going to have these these flashy athletic plays the way that you know, some of these other cornerbacks projected before him are, but just a really smart, savvy player. He's capable of playing in the slot, uh, capable of playing in the boundary either way, uh, and actually tested better than I think I expected at least um, at the Stanford Pro Day. So uh, good value there in the third round for for uh, the Lions, and then hopefully you get Jeffrey Okuda to continue development, and you've got him and Paulson Adebo competing against Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore in practices. Yeah, not not a bad little move. And again, the Lions can go any which way. They just need the best possible players. Uh, the 49ers at number three, they traded up. I mean, you give it to Mac Jones. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's where it's headed, right? And, and uh, have we talked about this? I, I, it all bleeds together, but you know, I'm curious, Josh, what do you think about, uh, your smirking? I think we have talked about this and you don't like Mac Jones. Is that right? I like Mac Jones. Just number three is is, is too rich for me. I, I don't have a first round grade on him, but I do have him within the top thirty two uh, players in this class. Um, you know, so we're, I'm not I'm not far off, especially at the quarterback position, where guys are always going to be taken a little bit higher than than maybe where they're evaluated because of the positional need. Um, uh, Ryan is obviously the leader of the Mac Jones bandwagon. We, uh, I, I think, I can share this. We're we're talking about an article. Um, coming up, one of uh, Cody Benjamin, who has appeared on this podcast multiple times, uh, was reaching out to us for some insight on on this quarterback class. And he was just asking, you know, who uh, of these draft eligible quarterbacks, who is the best at, you know, each of these various traits, you know, um, arm strength, all of this different kind. And I said, to make it easy, it's just all Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, because he brings everything to the table. But then, of course, Ryan retorts uh, exactly what Josh said, but Mac Jones instead of Trevor Lawrence. So, um, Ryan is, loves – Ryan is all in on Mac Jones. Good for him. He, he has planted his flag. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. It's it's either going to pay off or uh, or not so. Well, but. well I'll, I'll say this too, like – and this is where I kind of come down on it. And I need to – I want I'm going to go back and watch Mac Jones again. I, I was of the opinion, like, all right, this match during first round hype is getting a little spun up uh, more than I want. But I mean, I believe that if Kyle Shanahan is in on Mac Jones and you take Mac Jones and you put him on that 49ers roster with that offensive line, that coaching staff, that scheme and those skill position guys, that Mac Jones is going to be a, he's going to make a pro bowl at some time in his first three years or start first five years that he starts anyway. Cause I think Jimmy Garoppolo will probably start most of 2021. And I mean, that's not, that's just how much faith I have in Kyle Shanahan in like Trent Williams and Alex Mack already there. You, you know, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, these are just guys that you can run something sort of similar to what, you know, not similar to Bama, but like you're run. I mean, you're not asking them to make, you know, 
25, 15-yard out throws every game. You're going to bootleg him and have him dump off the guys running wide open. I just think if you have a – like, I, it's, it's, I am so – I am not going to fade Mac Jones if that's who Kyle Shanahan is taking for this team. Like, I don't – I see what Mac Jones can do at Alabama, and you're asking him to do sort of the same thing, to operate a system and to make smart decisions and to throw to wide open guys. Like, he, he can do that. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I, I I understand that line of thinking. If you're the 49ers, um, you know, you probably feel when healthy, you have a Super Bowl caliber roster. So you just need to plug in a quarterback that you can trust. And if Kyle Shanahan believes that it's Mac Jones, you know, that he can, um, you know, place out there and expect him to make the right decisions, put the ball where it needs to be, uh, you know, get the ball out quickly all of that kind of stuff, then, you know, by all means, make make the pick. But it's just kind of tough for, I think, people in the draft community that, you know, do all the evaluations and you get caught up in the, you know, the raw athleticism, the the potential of, of some of these other players. It's a little bit tougher to stomach, um, you know, Mac Jones at number three. But I, I do understand the line of thinking. And I think at times we probably do get caught up in terms of potential over evaluating the current circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's not, it's not like I'm like, oh, Mac Jones is, you know, an elite five tool monster athlete. You know, it's, right. it's just, it's just, I think if you take, I just think that you could take almost any quarterback, and I, I haven't watched enough Trey Lance to know, but like, I think you could take Fields, I think you could take Zach Wilson, I think you could take Trevor Lawrence, I think you could take Mac Jones, and they could put them in Kyle Shanahan's system, and they're probably going to be pretty good because that's just how Kyle Shanahan's system works. What, what um, if they just traded up for Kyle Pitts, you know? I keep saying that. And like, uh, like nobody, I'm like, we, we're assuming he's taking Mac Jones. So that means a forward starts to the Falcons and unless Kyle Shannon traded up for Kyle Pitts, which I wouldn't even mind. I don't know if you give him two first rounders to do it, but maybe you love Kyle Pitts that much. That would be effing hilarious if they did that. I mean, if, if they do that and they do this stupid Mac Jones smoke screen, it's absurd. Now, I also think there's, uh, a better than zero chance that they made this trade up to three, that Mac Jones makes sense for what they, they're going to do, but that they're pumping up Mac Jones as a way to keep the Jets from thinking about Justin Fields. Is that, I mean, that's not impossible because they're not guaranteed who they want at three. They're guaranteed one of two guys they want at three. And maybe they like, I mean, I don't think they're like trying to talk the Jets into taking Mac Jones at two. But if they were really on Justin Fields and they wanted to make sure that nobody was like, this would be the perfect smokescreen to hype up how much you love Mac Jones, to go to Mac Jones pro day, to create all this noise around Mac Jones and then take Justin Fields at three, making sure that nobody, nobody gives the Jets a godfather offer for Fields or that the Jets don't change their mind to take Fields at number two. Cause I mean, I suppose that's like, that's not a, that's not a crazy conspiracy, right? Not compared to some of the other stuff we've seen in the past. I mean, if we look at what the Broncos did with Jay Cutler several years ago, they, they had the Titans doing all this, um, you know, behind the scenes scouting of the quarterbacks for them. I mean, that was an article on ESPN, I believe, um, you know, a couple of years back, but I mean, it's not unheard of. Smoke screens are not meant to be easily interpreted. So I think that is an interesting comment I hadn't really considered. Uh, I would be surprised if it wasn't. Zach Wilson at two and, and Mac Jones at three. But sure. again, that would just be the smoke screen working. I think if uh, you know what you say plays out. Yep. Um, 
podcast listener point. I mean, I think at this point, if you were betting on it, you'd probably just bet Justin Fields and hope that it was that because the right. Mac Jones prices are like Mac Jones is under three and a half draft position is like minus one seventy five. It's just unbettable. The, the the move was to bet it when they made the trade and to hammer Mac Jones, and now it's almost like you have to go back the other way. Um, you also have taken Elijah Bolden out of Washington, Milton Williams. Uh, out of LaTeX in the third defensive end, Andre Cisco safety from Syracuse in the fourth, and oh my lord, you gave your guy Kyle Shanahan Ch- Ch- Chuba Hubbard running back out of Oklahoma State. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Man, that gets me excited. I love that guy. He is he's a beast, and he would be an animal in this scheme. And that's why I want to see Justin Fields or Trey Lance be the, the pick at number three, because you know just imagining one of those two guys running the option. Uh, with Chuba Hubbard in the background, you know, is, is pretty exciting as well. So, um, you know, I don't think it's going to play out that way, but Hubbard is one of the more explosive players in the draft. So you put him in one of the more explosive offenses um, in terms of running the football, one that's going to create opportunities for its running backs. That's a great fit if you're Chuba Hubbard. So, um, you know, I like that fit as well. Elijah Molden is just a really good cornerback. You can play, he can play on the boundary. He can play in the slot. Uh, a guy with some, with some flexibility at that position. So, uh, and then Milton Williams is a guy that a lot of people, you know, really like. I, I've, I've, I like the flashes that I've seen, but I, you know, want to see some more consistency out of him. Uh, if he does reach that consistency, I think they've got a pretty scary interior with, uh, you know, Milton and then Javon Kinlaw, who they took in the first round last year. Yeah. And I think this is how the 49ers draft probably looks like quarterback in the third overall load up on some defensive players and then maybe sneak some skill position guys in there. But with the attrition they've had on defense, whether, you know, DeForest Buckner via trade, Richard Sherman leaving, um, via free agency, you know, whatever it is. And they, I think it's a team that does need to sort of reload from a defensive talent standpoint. So I like what you did there. Uh, really just like the entire seven round mock draft, Josh. It's fantastic stuff, uh, as always. And, uh, that's it. That's the show. Great stuff, dude. Um, make sure to check out Josh's seven round mock on CBSports.com. You think about all the hours, the manpower he put into it. Go read it. Go click. Go give my man some page views. Josh, thanks, buddy. Anytime. <laughs>